I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is the weekly briefing for the week ending September 3rd. If it seems you've been hearing the phrase multiverse a lot lately, you have. And it's not just because it's been popping up with increasing frequency in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Several huge electronics companies recently latched onto the word. Now, pulling terminology out of comic books might suggest a certain frivolity, but the electronics industry is wisely looking for a good catchy name to what seems to be a very real technological trend. We don't want to be stuck with another kludgy sounding phrase like Internet of Things, do we? Different electronics companies have been trafficking all sorts of realities of late. There's virtual reality, which is different from augmented reality, which is different from mixed reality, which is different from extended reality. And what encompasses multiple realities, if not a metaverse? The thing that all of these realities have in common is that people will all have to use some sort of display to experience them. And who knows more about displays? graphics technology, and the applications they enable than our old pals, John Petty and Kathleen Marr from John Petty Research. They're our guests this week, and they'll explain what a metaverse might be, what metaverses mean for the electronics industry, and more importantly, for the world. Before we get to our conversation with John and Kathleen, here are some of the stories you can find in EE Times this week. There was another major acquisition last week. Synaptics bought the DSP Group for $538 million. That's nowhere near the biggest deal this year, but it's plenty big for Synaptics. And it's also indicative of where the Internet of Things is going. Synaptics, which pioneered with touch input technology, is convinced that we'll be interacting with the increasing number of connected devices using voice and gesture. That's by no means a revelation, but someone has to build the enabling technology and Synaptics plans to be one of those someones. Almost as if they're regularly scheduled, there was another massive, costly, embarrassing cyber attack revealed. This one targeting Microsoft Exchange. And again, the scope of the damage still hasn't been completely understood, but we know it's massive. And... Once again, it was a private security operation that noticed. It all opens the question, how do we find out about these attacks and also how do we coordinate our response against them? The answers start with vulnerability disclosure programs. Unfortunately, there's a flaw in how vulnerability disclosure programs are run. Read our story exposing that flaw. We've also gotten an analysis of the memory market which predicts that newer memory types, the so-called emerging memories, might replace several categories of memory devices that are in common use today and do it much sooner than might be expected. If you're on this podcast episode's webpage, look to your left and you'll see links to all of these stories that we mentioned today. You can get details and analysis on all of them and plenty of others. Otherwise, visit our site at eetimes.com. And if you scroll down to the bottom of our homepage, you'll find links to more industry news from our sister publications, EDN, Power Electronics News, Electronic Products, EPS News, EE Times Europe, Embedded.com, EE Web, and Analog Planet. 
Mark Zuckerberg recently said he intends to turn Facebook into a metaverse company. The announcement seemed to come out of the blue even for some Facebook employees. During the company's most recent conference call with analysts and reporters to discuss quarterly earnings, Zuckerberg was asked about what he meant. Here's what he said, quote, What is the metaverse? It's a virtual environment where you can be present with people in digital spaces. You can kind of think of this as an embodied internet that you're inside of rather than just looking at, unquote. Several companies have already signed up to go along for the ride, including Microsoft. NVIDIA, meanwhile, has been talking about creating an omniverse. Perhaps this is emblematic, and perhaps not, but the word that Facebook is using, metaverse, is used by Marvel Comics, while the word that NVIDIA is using, omniverse, is used by DC Comics. Unless the unthinkable happens, and Marvel and DC end up at the same publishing company, the metaverse and the omniverse are never going to merge. Is that going to be the fate of Facebook's metaverse and NVIDIA's omniverse? Or is the terminology just coincidence and one day the industry will skip right past the prefixes and there will be one big verse? A phrase already familiar to browncoats. There's a link on the page. You can look it up. John Petty is the president of the eponymous research operation. He's a well-known authority on display technology. Kathleen Marr is similarly an authority on computer-aided design and graphics technology. So the obvious place to start with those two was comparing the various verses. Is the omniverse and the metaverse the same thing? Is it just, or, or are, they two, are they two different things with two different camps um, you know, that'll end up competing with each other? Yeah, well, right now, I think, you know, you could almost put it in two different camps, right? Mm -hmm. There's the omniverse, which are the N people, as in NVIDIA's, that's that's their branding. And then the and then the metaverse is kind of everybody else. And then Mm -hmm. and then but even if you go that way, there's uh, there's all kinds of metaverses is the is uh, Unreal's idea of the metaverse, the same thing as as Unity's or as Autodesk's or. To take it a little step further, how about uh, Siemens and and their idea mm-hmm. of the digital twin and you know you drive your digital car, all, all those are versus and all those companies whether they call it that or not are definitely working in that direction. Yeah. So so there are a whole bunch of verses coming, which is is just as it should be. <laughs> <laughs> a multi versus multi. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, if, I could, if I could go uh, pedantic oh, for just a moment. Um, People are using the expression metaverse and, and omniverse and your mama's verse and so forth without, in my opinion, uh, thinking through what the hell is a verse. <clears throat> and so, like I said, just to, just to be a, a pandemic about it is uh, when we talk about the metaverse, mm-hmm. what we're really trying to embrace is the encapsulation of uh, collaboration amongst users and more importantly or as importantly applications so we want the users and the applications to be able to seamlessly and and without any friction communicate with each other as close as possible to real time mm-hmm. so at the at the speed of thought so i have an idea and i say oh look at this and whilst i'm doing that you say oh yeah but you could do that and and the application are keeping up with this even though there might be three or four of them running simultaneously and our brains are, are you know, leap, leaping way ahead of the hardware and software. 
and it's trying to keep up. So that's the verse. Yeah. And how expansive that verse gets is a function of your imagination and your checkbook. Is this a just a wicked cool marketing phrase to uh, mm -hmm. to replace what we yeah. used to think of as AR and VR and and the applications there, or is this an evolution of the idea? Well, I'll go. I, I like your turn, uh, your use of the word evolution because they're all steps along the way, right? They've okay. all been step two D. 2D drafting is a step along to the verts. Sooner or later, you get there. Okay. And um, and and we are still quite a long ways off. But I think the thing that some things have to be in place. And, and we're seeing those things come, you know, tick on like, like a universal scene description. USD, you know, is a, a way of describing 3D where everybody can read it. Mm -hmm. And 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 those sorts of things are the building blocks that have to happen, and and they're actually kind of few and far between. There's not that many standards like that that everybody can use that everybody agrees on and goes, oh sure, I'll I'll, I'll work with yours, and you know, uh -huh. uh, so so right now there's like a hard core which is the Academy Software Foundation is kind of working those through, but it's going to have to come from and. It's going to have to come from Kronos and uh, other people, too, who are developing standards and to throw in and, and then for companies to actually accept them and not be so worried about losing something along the way yeah. or they have to be willing to lose something along the way. I'm so glad you brought that up because um, one of the questions I had about what, whether the multiverse and the omniverse are distinct from each other in any other slash verse that might be out mm -hmm. there are they likely to be uh like uh, um uh, industrial partnerships that nvidia and its partners and you know f on one hand and facebook and 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 uh you know microsoft and their partners on the other will they still be able to share some of the are they still likely to share some of the same standards for as you were saying rendering you know rendering and understanding 3d you know forms sure well the some of those partnerships are already forming you're just mentioning them but mm -hmm. uh they more or less have to for uh there can't i don't how can you say omniverse everything verse metaverse you know that implies that everybody can come play in it so how <laughs> is that going to work unless they all the partners figure out a way to share. Okay. Yeah, and I'd like to add to that that um, we are seeing a, a dramatic, exciting evolution in the attitudes of companies. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. with the exception of Apple, the notion of- uh, Always the exception of Apple, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Apple's an exceptional company. But, but exactly. their, model, their model is it's the Apple-verse and you stay within the bounds of their mm -hmm. universe and don't step out because there's terrible things out there and you'll get hurt uh, and you'll come running back and say, please may I come back. Uh, <clears throat> whereas companies who used to have attitudes like that and maybe still have lingering attitudes like that, uh, all the companies we just mentioned have learned that you get much further through an open system with everybody participating and no one can own it because the idea is too big. It's just way too big. No company could ever, ever do it all. And so your best interests lie in being cooperative, not being uh, privately held. Yeah. That's probably, so that's true from um, uh, a, perhaps a standard standpoint, 
but we're all we've all been around just long enough to have seen situations where people will take a standard and implement it differently mm-hmm. or add something proprietary to make it, you know, to take it the next step. Well, that's um, exactly where we are in today. Right. That's, okay. That's yeah. what I wanted to ask. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's exactly what's happening today. And, and, and there's no way you can talk about something that is this grand and this big as, as even on a three-year time scale, five-year time scale, you know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. going to take a while. And because it takes a really long while for people to agree on something so important to their identity. Even. Yeah, I'd like to add to that also is that um, when, you, when you talk about you know taking a standard and then um, privatizing it, so to speak, um, two examples that come to my mind because of my interest in hardware is AMD and, and NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. And and they do this all the time, and I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. I mean that in a favorable way. In that, um, uh, as an example, Nvidia came up with some ideas that would extend DirectX uh, to embrace uh, ray tracing, for example, and a thing mm-hmm. called variable rate uh, shading. And they made extensions that would do that, and both Cronus and Microsoft embraced those extensions thus making them uh, plural and and open. (laughs) So AMD and NVIDIA as examples, and Intel does it too, is they'll develop something because they're a little bit more agile. They can move faster on it. They've got people who are sweating this stuff day and night every day. And, you know, their ideas People beating them too, right? (laughs) (laughs) But but, but to their their credit, to to their great credit, is they then let it be free. They send it out into the wild. They say, here, we did this thing. Go use it. You know, I just thought of those kind of like those uh, these these standards bodies we're talking about the AWSF and the uh, Academy no the SASWF <laughs> the Academy Software them. Foundation and Kronos and um, uh, uh, these other other standards bodies are like big cauldrons. Mm-hmm. So all these little companies are uh, you know coming up with these great ideas and stuff, and they're pushing it, and they're and they're all trying to protect their their IP and stuff, but then. Eventually, it all gets thrown into the cauldron and stirred up, and then and then this magic thing pops out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and 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 look, uh, we're having this Zoom conversation. Think think about, and we're not paying a dime for it, right? Or, or maybe not too many. Not me, I don't. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, I mean, there's, there's, but the point is that Zoom came about. It was a for free thing, and, and and how could it possibly work? Well, it worked because it works. I should say, because it uses literally hundreds of standards that are lurking inside our PCs right now. Yeah. And, and Zoom just calls them up as needed and says, here, do this now, do this, do this, do this, and so forth. There's no exchange of money there. There's no privacy there. There's no ownership. There's no trademark stamp. It's it's just there. We've got it. Are there so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with the hardware question, and then we're gonna go to Kathleen, who insists that this is all a software issue, anyways. <laughs> um, uh, the hardware question is: um, Are there uh, fundamental techniques uh, that are hardware based, uh, or or at least hardware enabled, um, that's going to get us to that that are included in the evolution to metaverse, omniverse, iverse, whatever. Um, I'm asking about things like ray tracing um, and other capabilities and, and the hardware you need to, to do that well. Um, are, is, 
are there a set of building hardware building blocks with the and and fundamental capabilities that they enable um, that are going to help us get to where we can talk about an omniverse or a metaverse mm -hmm. and it might be a real thing sometime soon? Yeah, and uh, since you asked about, it, I'm gonna have to give you a slightly technical answer, but uh, the the short answer is yes. Uh, it's the SIMD processors. The, mm -hmm. uh, it's a parallel processors that are in the GPU today. There are literally thousands of 32-bit floating point parallel processors in every GPU that's out there today. Mm -hmm. And those uh, parallel processors, which are often called shaders, mm -hmm. have gone through several stages of evolution. A little little shameless plug here. I'm writing a book about this, <laughs> and uh, anyway, we'll be so, back and talk about it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the, so the the point they are now in this evolution is where they are being referred to, not as a um, shader for this or a shader for that or a shader for some other function, mm -hmm. but rather as compute shaders. And you'll hear the expression about mesh, mesh shaders as an example. And so now what we've done is we've generalized these parallel processors so that they can handle almost any computational load you can throw at them. <clears throat> and given that it's in the GPU, the GPU has very, very tightly coupled and very, very fast and very large memory, private memory array. Mm -hmm. That means it can do these things exceptionally fast, crazy fast. It's, just, it's why people want GPUs for, for, for crypto mining. So that is the empowerment right there. That's mm -hmm. what's making omniverse and multiverse and your mama's verse, everybody's verse come to life is that we've got these incredible engines and we already own them. We already bought them. So now it's just a question of, of, of exploiting them. Okay. So the, so the, the technological foundation is there. Um, I want to talk about the software, but I also wonder whether we should talk first about the application areas. What what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Are we talking? Should we uh, should we talk about um, things like gaming or high performance computing? Um, the, the types of applications where you use GPUs and where visualization is very important. Or do we talk about the fundamental software enablers before we get to what the applications are? No, I think the applications are the whole point, mm -hmm. more or less. I mean, uh, that's that's what's driving it all. And uh, we were just we're just now in the like coming at the end of the uh, I was saying coming at the end of the second quarter because this is when like you report on the second quarter. We're at the third quarter, so but mm -hmm. uh, but here when you're reporting this stuff and thinking about this stuff. Um, it, we've seen this continuous sort of um, uh, merging of the, the larger application areas because their goals tend to be becoming more and more the same. Mm -hmm. so, that, so, so the gamers might not think of it that way, but, um, you know, building, uh, you know, running around and shooting things in, in a 3D world is getting more and more similar to building a car and building this car from the inside with a giant model that you can you can actually see how the ignition switch works because because the uh, the engineering companies the design and engineering companies are even adding even adding EDA electronical de design uh, into their software so 
So it is, they're becoming so much more similar. The only difference is, of course, like say in gaming, you can, you can kind of fudge it so that it looks swell. And in, and in engineering, that'd be kind of a bad idea because your bridge falls down. <laughs> but, but other than that. <laughs> well, as, a, as a counterpoint, um, I, would, I would trace history and say that um, in the beginning of the PC, right, mm-hmm. the beginning of the PC in the early 80s, by the way, we just had our 40th anniversary. Um, of the PC. Of oh, the PC, us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you just like, Kathleen yeah, no. looked shocked. No party? Like, no what? what? <laughs> oh, yeah, where, where are my flowers? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the PC started uh, in, in the early 80s. And, and when it did, uh, the only software that was, uh, not the only software, but the majority of the software that was available for it was um, uh, hand-me-downs from mainframes. Mm-hmm. That were you know you know crippled and crippled and crippled so they could run on a PC, and so the PC was always hardware wise always trying to catch up, mm-hmm. couldn't quite get there, couldn't quite get there. Well, that was the case uh, up until about the mid nineteen nineties, and then the PC had caught up, mm-hmm. and then what we saw was that now you could get free performance improvement just by getting a new CPU or, or we didn't have a GPU just yet, but a new this yeah. right. Yeah. And then, towards the end of the 1990s, hardware was so far ahead of the software that the software couldn't catch up. And so the chicken and egg thing flipped. It went from if the software is the chicken, it was the chicken, now it's the egg. And the hardware guys are saying to the software guys, could you please hurry up? <laughs> we told you about this a year ago. You knew it was coming. We even showed you what the register set looked like, and still you're not ready. Well, and there's still that disconnect. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 the software guys bemoan, and in fact, the game guys especially say this today. Damn, you understand that it takes five years and five million dollars a year to build a game. You know, mm-hmm. we can't make the machine go any faster. So it's it's a real problem. And and right now, the hardware guys are so far ahead. It's just you know it drives them crazy because all this beautiful hardware is being shipped and it's not being fully exploited. Yeah, I think I think an example of that is AI and physics. You know that. Uh, that's the big yeah. hope. That's the thing that's going to suck up every CPU cycle we have. Yeah. Yeah, rendering is very nice and it's pretty, but boy, if they could get those things thinking. <laughs> well, that's kind of interesting. So, um, how does the supply chain uh, problems we've been experiencing play into how you said the hardware is now available and we're waiting for the software to catch up, but is the hardware truly available and how does that play? (laughs) It depends on who you ask. Uh (laughs) Um, Yeah. The short answer is yes. It may not be as available as it was a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there's a variety of reasons that, you know, go into that situation, which we discussed time permitting, but um, it's improving more and more every day. The the shock of COVID and and what it did to the supply chain and what it did to the demand for uh, working at home, Mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty much been absorbed and it's working its way out. Uh, A few lessons learned, not enough in my opinion, um, this 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 time next year uh, we won't have this discussion. Yeah, uh, because right now, this. right now we're talking about. I mean, they're they're wonderful. I mean, from, from the gaming standpoint, we're talking about people who are 
are eagerly awaiting the next generation of game, con- you know, dedicated game consoles. And there are also uh, gamers who, you know, work on their PCs, who play with their PCs, who are waiting for innovative new equipment that'll get them going, you know, playing faster and better. And, you know, that's, that's somewhat backed up still. I mean, it may, it may work itself out next year, perhaps, as you said, but, but that's still a backup, right? Um, by backup, you mean there's a lack of, of enough, uh, there's a lack of enough, uh, whether it's maybe it starts at the processors, maybe it starts at the board level where, uh, where, where people are still looking for some of this advanced stuff and, and not being able to get their hands on it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to measure, Byron. Just, just look at prices, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, a month ago, two months ago, um, if you could find one, a graphics board was twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, <laughs> and, and people were paying that. People who desperately wanted one would pay that to get it. Um, today, you can get that same graphics board for eight hundred, going towards six hundred. Mm. So that's an example of supply meeting demand, mm-hmm. uh, and and it, it's a two-headed uh, monster in that. As supply uh, meets demand, demand goes down because we have a finite number of customers in the world. Mm-hmm. Delta Delta set us back. We thought we would be uh, visiting our offices more frequently today than we are, and and uh, the companies have you know or, uh, business organizations and and government organizations have reacted to that and said, hold on, uh, don't come back just yet. <laughs> We, we don't have that many uh, oxygen tanks and masks, so it's just stay where you are. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm so, sad to laugh at that, but geez. Yeah, I know. <sighs> but, uh, that has driven us back home, and driving us back home has created a little pop, if you will, of demand for more home machines, machines that were being used marginally with the idea that I'm, I'm going to get back to the office so I don't have to upgrade this now. Okay, I have to upgrade this. So one example of that is uh, we saw in the Q quarter, Q2 quarterly data, there was a, a spurt of sales of workstations. Mm-hmm. Now, the workstation market is very stable. It rocks along about 2 maybe 3% of growth a year. Very, 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 it's a great market because you know you're going to get that little bit of growth. It tells you what your ROI is going to be on R&D and so forth. You kind of guaranteed nice margins. Besides. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a very specialized audience. Well, <clears throat> we had to spurt in Q2, which means that the product was shipped and sold in Q2 was probably ordered in Q1. Mm-hmm. So at the end of Q1, there was, you know, we were starting to get the first reactions to Delta. And it was realized that, you know, uh, oh, we have a problem. And now my my best people, the people who I pay a lot of money to, need the best tools. So we're going to have to get some heavy-duty, high-performance workstations and send them home. This is a problem to a certain extent for the corporations because they now have 2x the capital expense that they used to have. So this Mm. is going to impact profit structures on some of the companies. Um, and 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 it's also going to be a factor in productivity because if it takes two machines to do what one was doing, your productivity just went in half. So these are all going to be worked out, and we're going to see the ramifications of that probably in the financial statements in Q3. How are we going to interface with the omniverse, metaverse, iverse, whatever? Well, I think we already are. You know, okay. I mean, uh, uh, so gamers especially have been living in a 3D world 
all along. And uh, we're seeing the software companies adding more and more 3D capabilities like Adobe is building its 3D tools and they're sort of hammering it in their own little workshop. But uh, again, enabling artists to work more fully in 3D. So so we will see this in different sort of uh, silos still because that's how life works. And um, uh, but, we, you know, Facebook is talking about it's. Uh, work at home what is it uh facebook workspace yeah so we so we can have group meetings which i sort of think you know people aren't going to wear a mask to for their health they're sure not going to wear a, like a headset to go to work <laughs> put that aside you know yeah okay <laughs> but there with the other the, there's a flip side too is that we've all been isolated so long aren't we going to start seeing this thought too of uh, being out in the real world and being able to communicate with people. And so Apple supposedly is is coming very close to having AR glasses and uh, mm-hmm. so that you can walk around and be getting your job done and that sort of thing. So so it's all going to be all these different experiences, experiences and experiments that we've mm-hmm. been seeing all along, but they're going to crawl together, you know, over, the, over time. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Oh, good. We're done. <laughs> uh, just, just, just to just to take it a bit further and to, and to you know tweak your imagination is that we're having this uh, discussion through Zoom, which means that we're both looking at our PCs mm-hmm. um, and our PC is listening to us at the same time, and it's also uh, giving us sound. Um, but we are constrained to sitting in front of our PCs to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. So when we get to the point, and it's not too far away, that we will wear normal-looking glasses, just like the glasses you're wearing right now, Brian, mm-hmm. normal-looking glasses that you're not embarrassed to be seen in public with, and yet these glasses give you presentation of information. Mm-hmm. But also, you now have the ability to look anywhere and see information. So now, instead of one little flat screen that's maybe you know 15 or 17 inches uh, diagonal, you now have a 360 dome view. You can look up, you can look sideways, you can look down, et cetera, et cetera. And there'll be some information there for you if that's how you choose to use your glasses. So now we could be having this conversation while I was taking a walk in the woods, while, you know, Kathleen was, you know, reading a book in the library and while you were petting your giraffe. (laughs) So that's interesting Uh, as as a practical matter. Having those kind of glasses, are we going to get to the point where we're going to be able to, um, will we be able to incorporate enough hardware to have the glasses be standalone things, or will they need to interface with perhaps the smartphone in your pocket or with the cloud if you're someplace urban enough where the cloud's accessible. Yeah. Well, it's 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 both actually. The, the your your phone, the glasses become basically an extension of the display of your phone. Mm-hmm. And so so the hardware in the glasses will be very minimal and you want it to be minimal because of weight, because of power consumption, because of heat, etc. Right. So you want to get that, you know, that's why they have to look like normal glasses and and they have to be absolutely minimized. The smartphone becomes the server. Mm-hmm. 
And as such, it also becomes a communications hub. So yes, you will be using the cloud. You can't get away without it, right? So right. Say whether you should make a left or a right at the next intersection. <clears throat> and the processing power will all be in the smartphone in your pocket. All right. So are we likely to see a lot of the applications we were talking about today tended to be industrial slash enterprise? So the digital twins building a car, like Siemens uh, mm -hmm. is is very interested in, and several of their those other companies. Uh, and Siemens, and Siemens PTC and Dassault are fighting it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so are, are we, and and uh, gosh, we ran a story the other day about uh, from from uh, uh, talking to Art Dejas, where he's going to have design engineers being uh, aided by AI, and I imagine. There's every reason to be able to see a circuit diagram in your in your glasses as well. Sure, sure. Uh, we were talking about collaboration, and often that's that was in a, a corporate um, setting. Um, are we likely to see enterprise industrial applications first? Uh, will 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 personal uses like you were just talking about walking around outside and mm -hmm. you know taking a look at a building and finding out whether you know. Uh, you know, George Washington actually slept there or not. Um, well, it's kind of that, interesting because yeah. I guess I guess you would say that when, when Apple starts talking about, uh, yeah, they're going to have uh, AR glasses and they're going to be better than anyone and they're going to end this discussion. And they have ended many. <laughs> they they always do it. They, yeah, they <laughs> you do. Know, can't count them out. Uh, that's going down the personal path pretty clearly. Okay. However, when you look at companies like Vario mm -hmm. and uh uh, Microsoft with HoloLens and those guys, they're taking the industrial route because that's where the money is. Yeah. And, okay. and development is always going to go where the money is. So in these sort of high-end sort of uh, uh, uses, yep, it's going to be industrial, I think. Let me uh, let me give you a use case, uh, Brian, in that there's a company called PTC mm -hmm. um, who is heavily invested into AR. And um, one of the um, purposes of AR that they brought forth, which is which is incredible, is that uh, they deal in industries where journeymen uh, used to work. Older people, men and women, who had experience they had learned over the years, and those people haven't been replaced at the rate they should be. Mm. So newbies are being new people are being brought in who can't quite get the same level of training fast enough. So what you do is you take your AR glasses and the journeyman goes through his or her paces as they normally would, and it's all being recorded, but it's being recorded with the view of the journeyman. See, I reach over here and I touch this orange thing and I turn it 90 degrees and then I pull it out. Mm -hmm. And and okay, got that. So now you take the new the new person, you put the glasses on and you basically replay that. But at the same time, through a thing called telepresence, the journeyman is watching the new person do what he's being told to do. And if the new person doesn't quite do it perfectly, German steps in and says, that's good, but you didn't pull it out quite far enough. Give it another little yank. Get the feel of that. See how that feels? Right. So you get that personal touch. Now you have a multiplier because now that journeyman can talk to 10 people. Right. Right. Yeah, well, I did a story with a, a company uh, not too far away from where I am physically um, a few years back. Um, and a couple of the examples they had were they 
are they have already done this. They have worked with surgeons who have particular specialties, mm-hmm. and they would record. You know, mm-hmm. they they would be have their head mounted displays recording from their points of view surgeries that they performed, and and they're talking through what they're doing so that other people who can view you know, Mm -hmm. recordings of that and learn from them. And the other one was from uh, a former NBA ball player who was saying, you know, I can go and visit and do a clinic and, but then I don't go back, but now I can, I can throw on the headset, put one on the coach that's in, you know, in the gym and let him know, okay, that kid reinforced this thing and tell them to stop doing that thing. Um, it, it's kind of a really fascinating new new set of applications that are just and it's, rolling. Mm-hmm. And it's going to absolutely change our lives completely. I mean, five years from now, this will be commonplace, just like a smartphone is. And it'll be more, it'll be a bigger revolution than the smartphone was. And if you can just imagine life before the smartphone. and Just how- barely. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, think think about how limited we were, how restricted we were, and then all of a sudden we got this little thing that we carry around with us now. It's not too expensive. Imagine that four x or five x, because that's what it's going to be like. Because you're just going to be wearing this thing, and the amount of information that's going to be available to you is going to be it can be overwhelming. There's a couple of great videos that have that take it to an extreme uh, that show how overwhelming it could be if it's not managed properly. Isn't it interesting, though, Brian, the way that what we're seeing and what we're talking about, and we're sort of all over the place on it, but what we're talking about is how real life and digital life are becoming closer and closer uh, uh, connected and meshing. And that is is a kind of ultimate goal, and that is the kind of idea of the verses and everything, when when you can move smoothly between them all in in different ways and and uh you just pick up or use whatever tool that works best in that situation mm-hmm. well that's a good place to leave this conversation with the uh, a bright and shiny future for once i'm an optimist i always go that way it'll be <laughs> wonderful <laughs> okay so thank you it was a pleasure talking with you both happy to do it that was fun That was John Petty and Kathleen Marr, both of John Petty Research. Kathleen Marr is vice president at John Petty Research and is editor-in-chief of TechWatch. John, meanwhile, just happened to let slip that he has a couple of recent books. One is called Augmented Reality, Where We All Will Live, and the other is Ray Tracing, A Tool for All. Both are germane to the conversation we just had, And we have links to where you can get them if you want to dive deeper into either subject. And that concludes this episode of The Weekly Briefing. Thank you for listening. The podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with the links to the stories we mentioned. The Weekly Briefing is produced by E.E. Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week. So what's your view?
about what the future is going to be. Yeah. I mean, you sit in a very prestigious position where information is coming at you all the time. You, you see all this stuff, too, all the time. So what do you think about all this? Um, it Like every other new technology, it'll be a blessing for people who pay attention to how to use it well. And it will be misused by some people deliberately and there will be some people who mindlessly use it and God knows what the consequences will be. But see, and that there, and so that's where we get to that ideal. If it were a natural, completely natural interface where the digital life and the internet life, I mm-hmm. mean, digital life and the real life were more meshed together then my mother might have a better chance of using this stuff, you know? And, and Yeah. Yeah. And, It'll be interesting. I, I mean, one of the, this is a, actually an old concept that goes back to Gary Kasparov when he got his ass kicked by uh, IBM. Uh, yeah. Uh, after that, uh, or actually right, right about that same time and coming out of that experience, he realized that, uh, he, that, that a competent chess player working with a computer. Yeah could be just a computer chess player or just a human chess player consistently. And, and his phrase for that was a centaur. It's half of this, half of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. And, and he felt that centaurs are going to be the, the wave of the future. We'll be, yeah, I agree with that. We'll be, you know, working with our technology profitably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the good of all mankind. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we both saw the Terminator, right? We, you know, yeah. So, so we're, we're going to keep our fingers crossed when we say that. Yeah. <laughs> we, we we have something that no machine has, and that's associative memory. Mm-hmm. And and our associative memory is uh, linked to all of our senses. We can smell something. We can hear something. We can see something. We can touch something. And it will evoke memories for us. And mm-hmm. then we extrapolate those memories. It's called imagination. Mm-hmm. And we create an entirely new scenario. So that that's, machines can't do that, but they can aid us and they can benefit from what we imagine. That is so fascinating. Last week, I had a conversation. I don't know if you caught last week's podcast. It was with Federico Fagin from, uh, from Intel. He was the guy who... Uh, designed uh, the 4004 microprocessor in the 8080, uh, and he went on to found Zilog. And what he's doing now is he's got a foundation that's looking into the scientific, um, the scientific basis for experience, for consciousness. Mm -hmm. And, And it was kind of interesting what you were just saying about what makes humans unique was a variation on what we were talking about last week. He was saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, machines will never be able to experience and will never be able to, to really learn and, and extrapolate and extrapolate. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that comforting? <laughs> it is because there's a lot you know when you start hearing yeah, well, people that, like that Stephen Hawking talk, telling you that you know fear the singularity it's like well, that's Stephen Hawking he's smarter than I am for by a long shot yeah yeah so we'll do. the, 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 the corollary to that is 
the lament that robots are going to take your job, right? And, and again, and that's a possibility. Well, well, hang on. So the answer to that is don't mm -hmm. do a robotic job. If your job is to sort envelopes, you know, damn right a robot's going to do that and better than you ever will. Uh, well, do uh, something that exploits your capabilities. There are robots. I, I like to think that as a journalist, I might have been, you know, that, that would have been a creative endeavor that might have saved my <laughs> job, but apparently I think not. Journalists. <laughs> it's a uh, good thing we're, we're older. I, yes. <laughs> I, I disagree. I disagree because I think what you're referring to is the experiments that have been done with AI with regard to what they are calling journalism, which I do not call journalism. But Thank rather, you. it is the regurgitation or the creation of press releases. That's not journalism. Right? That is a robotic job. Yeah. But in terms of journalism, where you actually go out and ask questions, and then depending on what the answer was, you make a decision about your next question, no AI is going to do that. Can I come work for you? <laughs> I, I thought you did already. <laughs> <laughs> We should do this ever wine one of these days. <laughs> Absolutely. No question about it. <laughs> well, it was good to see you, Brian. It was fun. It was, it was good to see you. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And your giraffe. And your giraffe. <laughs> yeah. does, he, does he have a name? Did you hear the chicken story? No. Oh, I'll tell, I'll tell okay. him the chicken story. Okay. Thank you. All right. <laughs>